Um, I had this whole lesson prepared. Um, it was about, I've been reading this book called Crazy Love, and I've read it, this is probably the second time I've read it, and I've read bits and pieces of it a lot. But, um, um, so I had this whole lesson prepared, and it was about just the profile of one who's just consumed in God, and little details and little characteristics of a person who is consumed in God. And I just heard God say, keep coming, keep coming. And I'm like, hold up. I spent all this time repairing this one and I don't want to keep coming. I want to, I want to teach this lesson. But, 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 um, God just took me back to this, um, this lesson. I spoke, it's been, I don't even know how long ago, probably a year and a half ago. Um, but it's about, um, basically it's titled, you're as close to God as you want to be. And I'm going to take it from the story there in, um, Exodus and we're going to go through it all. And it's basically, um, Moses there. We all know that he goes upon, uh, to the mountain and eventually receives the 10 commandments. Um, it'll be in Exodus chapter 19, but I have a few, uh, scriptures to read before that, but if we are honest, it's obvious that there are people that have that seem closer to God than other people, that have more a more intimate relationship with God than other people. That's just a given. It's an obvious thing. There's these people that have this reverent familiarity with God, you know, and then others, you know, there's more of a distant relationship with God. It's just it's one of those things that it's easily read in someone's actions and someone's words and how they respond to different things, different spiritual things and not spiritual things. And you may be one of them, you know, those people that share stories of, you know, encounters with God and they say things like, and I heard God say this. And you can say that to some people that, that literally even call themselves Christians and they're looking like, well, God has never spoken to me that way. You know, I, I can't say that I've heard that. You know, and so you have these people that, that do have this, you know, intimate relationship with God. And then you have other people that, you know, that don't necessarily, they love God, but they don't necessarily hear God all the time. You know, they're not in a place where they're constantly aware of God's voice, God speaking. And you think, you know, why is that? Does God have favorites? Well, we know in Scripture that he absolutely does not have favorites, that God is no respecter of persons. So that leaves one thing. Every person, every beating heart in this building, every soul, every spirit, we are all as close to God as we want to be. We can't complain that we're not as close to God as this person or that we don't hear God like this person or we don't, because God in his word, it says in Hebrews 4 and 16, it says that he's opened this this invitation for us to freely, boldly, confidently draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in good time for every need. So that's an open invitation from God, from his throne, whoever wants to, you can draw as near to the throne at any point in your life, at any time in your life, you can draw as close to God as you want to. You can come and you can come to the throne of God as, as close as you want. In Exodus, it's chapter 19. And we're going to parallel, I'm going to kind of point out where there's four levels of intimacy that can be found among these people. So we're going to explore that, and we're going to see these levels and how they can parallel in our life 
these levels of intimacy with God. You see Moses went along the top of the mountain to speak with God, but we're going to see that God established borders at other levels of this mountain and uh, below the mountain. But others could also, you know, ascend closer and some couldn't. It was just these borders that were set, and I'll explain that a little more in a minute. But the borders coincided with their commitment to their obedience to God. The borders that God set up for these people coincided with the people's level of intimacy and the level of commitment to intimacy with God and their commitment to pursue him. The first border was at the foot of the mountain. It's Exodus 19. It's verses 9 through 12. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people, the words of the people to the Lord. That's a little backwards. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today, tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. That was the first border that God set up. It says very clear that God set bounds. He told, he told Moses to set bounds. Moving on to the second border, those were the people, and mind you, those were the people that you know, eventually took their earrings and jewelry and made a golden calf and worshipped worshipped it because Moses wasn't coming back down the mountain in their timing. So, mind you, that was those people. The second border um, is called basically the beauty of God's feet. Uh, the Lord invited Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel to come closer to this mountain, to this habitat. And he still even allowed them. They came closer, but they still worshipped at a distance. And it says that they ate and they drank, but they still were at a distance. And this is basically demonstrating a second, more of a second level of intimacy with God. Joshua, on the other hand, was allowed to climb up to this third level with Moses. He was allowed to go on up. And then Moses left him and approached the actual face of God. So in Exodus 4, um, 4, not 4, 24, um, verses 9 through 17, and I'm going to read this one out of the NIV. It says, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, the 70, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet, and there where they, that's where they see his feet, under his feet were something like a pavement made of sapphire, as bright blue as the sky. <clears throat> but God did not raise his hand against these elders of the Israelites. They saw God. They ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua at his side, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in the dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called, called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain." See that there. These people that were still there at the base of the mountain, when they looked up, 
the glory of the Lord looked to them like consuming fire. It looked like this fire to them. And that wasn't something that they desired to go because it even says that when they saw that, the people were actually afraid. They didn't want to, they didn't want to go into that. So why would God let some people, you know, come closer and then some not? Why would that, ha- you know, why is that? Why would some people get to see this level of intimacy and this level of his presence while others, like Moses, get to see him face to face? In Exodus 32, you can see that the commitment of each group, that their desire within their heart, their level of commit- commitment, and their um, level of reverence for God and, and being uh, committed to being obedient to God, it, it, it totally parallels their level of intimacy. And so, bottom line, we decide the depth of God's presence that we go into. We decide the the uh, intensity of God's voice. We decide the level of intimacy in our relationship with God by our commitment to being obedient to his word. By our commitment to being obedient in his instruction for us. So to everyone at the first border, basically God was saying, I'm coming to visit you, but you can only come this far. I'm only going to allow you this far. And they were comfortable with that. Totally comfortable with that. They wanted to hear God's voice speak to Moses. It's like, Pastor, or was it you that spoke, uh, was it last week? Who spoke last week? Wow, I mind. Um, but he's talking about some people are just satisfied coming to church on Sunday and hearing what God is saying to the minister. Some people are really okay with that. They don't want to give up the things it would take to give up to hear God's voice during the week. And so they're just fine. They're completely content with coming Sunday after Sunday. Well, what's God saying today? What's God saying to the minister today? Well, I need to know. I I don't know what God's saying, so I have to come, you know. And that's a, a good thing to hear the word of God from the minister But God desires for us. I I promise God is not trying to keep us away from him. He's not trying to keep us from his voice. He wants us. He gave us, we see there in Hebrews, he gave us an open invitation to come and approach the throne of grace. So in our lives, a lot of times we get in these places where we almost get frozen and we don't know what to do. And so we, and we, and we do need to seek out instruction from other people, but we can't ride someone else's relationship with God. We can't ride someone else's passion. We can't ride someone else's um, willpower, you know, and their commitment. We can't say, well, okay, I'm going to take this and I'm going to let them hear God so they can speak to me because I really don't have, have time to, to, uh, you know, to, to hear God for myself. I got this to do and this to do and this to do. You know what I'm saying? So we have to make sure that we're not one of those people. That we're not one of those people that... Honestly, if you have no desire to read the Word of God, that's not good. That's not a good thing. It, it's something that you need to check in your heart. Yes, we have flesh and we're, you know, constantly, you know, fighting our flesh. But if there's absolutely no desire within you to read the word of God and to know what God says, then you need to start checking yourself. You need to start evaluating yourself and saying, whoa, God, you know, there's something really wrong in my heart. There's something really going on if I just don't even want to hear it. You know, if I don't even have any desire to know, you know, what you're saying, God. And so that first border is the people that that basically just come and they're okay with, you know, they see God as... That's going to take too much of me. That's going to consume too much of me. So I I don't want to go there. I'm okay with just hearing what God is speaking to other people. 
And those were the people that eventually made a golden calf to worship. I mean, you got to think about it. When they were leaving Egypt, you know, they the Egyptians gave them jewelry and they, you know, adorned them in beautiful things. So they took their earrings and jewelry off, watched them get melted down, formed into a calf and started worshiping it. They were worshiping earthly treasures, earthly goods. It's crazy, but it is what it is. And and there's times that we've all been guilty of doing that. The second level, it's where Aaron was among the priests and elders that ascended to the second level. Or it says Aaron and the other two guys, that, which names I can't pronounce off the top of my head, and then 70 elders, they were allowed to come a little closer. They were allowed to come to a place where they got to eat and got to drink. And they experienced God and they heard God. But these people are the ones that actually helped the children of Israel prepare their unholy, you know, with their sacrifice. They helped prepare altars for these people. So they had a sense of consecration to God. But at the, at the same time, they had this stronghold, I guess you would say, of, of people pleasing. You know, they, they weren't ones to just, you know, come down with the truth. And so they didn't hold to the truth. That's that's what these minister. I mean, these priests. That's what they were known for. And then um, Nadab and Abihu, which were Aaron's sons, eventually lost their lives for making unauthorized sacrifices. You can find that in Numbers. Moving on to this third level, this was Joshua, where he got to come a little closer. He got to go with Moses a little closer. He was allowed to ascend to that third level of intimacy with God. He watched Moses enter this cloud of the God's presence. So in Joshua, you can find him. He, when he wasn't serving, when he wasn't doing what God was saying for Moses and, and doing what he knew that he needed to do, you could find him praying. So Joshua was a praying man. He would assist Moses. He was a man of humility. He was a man that was that would run errands anytime he that was needed. You could see this man was one that walked in in prayer. And you can see in his life he was one of the 12 spies when he he was you know there were only two that come back. And so Joshua it was one of the ones out of these 12 men that went and and viewed the land. He was one of the the two that come back and he said, "You know what? I have faith in God and I know God's ability to give us this land." So that shows his character right there that he believed God. And so God chose to eventually replace Moses with Joshua when it came time to take uh, them into the land. So this fourth level of this face-to-face relationship with God, this is the level that requires commitment. And this is the level that requires a lot out of us. It requires a lot of our flesh. It requires a lot of our, our time, our resources. Moses went to the top of the mountain. Only him. To the intimate place of God. We know God is no respecter of persons, okay? But it's clear from scripture that Moses had taken great personal sacrifices in his life and, and he took great risks to obey God. He turned down opportunity for personal, um, gain, you know, personal promotion in order to see God's people's blessed. When he found out that he wasn't an Egyptian, what does he, what does he do? He's like, you know what? He turns away. He would, okay. He would be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had that opportunity, which means he would have been afforded every earthly treasure. Every single thing he could have wanted at that time would have been laid out in front of him. Everything. Money. I mean, whatever he wanted would have been right there for him. But but they worshipped other gods. They worshipped false gods. And so as soon as he found that out, he said, you know what? That's not for me. I choose this. I choose to take on. And, and the scripture even says 
that Moses preferred to share the oppression. It's Hebrews 11.25. Moses preferred to share the oppression, basically suffer the hardships and bear the shame of the people of God rather than to have the fleeting enjoyment of a sinful life. He chose to bear the oppression, to suffer the oppression, than to have this fleeting enjoyment of a sinful life. To me, that's so powerful. When you look at... The Israelites, I mean, Pharaoh's daughter, they were these rich, they were royalty. And then, and then the Israelites, they were poor slaves. They didn't have nothing. But they were God's people. They were God's people. So Moses could have kept on basically having fun in the flesh. Or he could have chose to seek something more. And what did he choose? He chose to seek something more. And not everyone would have paid that price. I don't know if I would have paid that price if I'd have been in that situation. I don't know if if I would have just, you know, I may have struggled with it. And you know what I'm saying? It, it's something that Moses just went face forward into. He didn't hesitate. Moses spent time with God for 40 days and 40 nights up on that mountain. And then he received the Ten Commandments. So he was committed. He was committed to that intimacy. He wanted intimacy with God more than anything else. He's the one that cried out to God, show me your glory. I want to see your face. I want to see your face, God. So God spoke to Moses face to face with such intensity that he had to wear this veil. Because the, the count, his countenance was just completely changed and it was completely shining. It scared and blinded the people. So this same four levels can be found in those who knew Jesus on the earth. And I want to go into that a little bit. From Luke 10 and 1, we know that Jesus appointed 70 people to travel ahead of him into every city that he went into and where he was going to go. So from the 70, he chose 12 disciples, okay, to share this deeper level of intimacy than the, just the 70. Well, then from the 12, there were three that got to experience these really awesome times with Jesus. And that was Peter, James, and John. And then out of Peter, James, and John, there was one, only one that was, that felt comfortable enough with him, that, that felt intimate enough with him to lay on his chest while he spoke. There was one, and that was John. And so those three, John was the one who, who just, he loved Jesus like a brother. He loved him with everything he was. So Jesus had 70 acquaintances. He had 12 disciples, three close friends, and one who loved him like a brother. And that shows you that it, it just is what it is. It, it's narrowed down. It's all by our heart. It's all where our heart is. And, and it doesn't mean Jesus didn't love all of those people. Jesus loves all of us. That's an argument that can be, it is what it is. Yes, Jesus loves all of us, but how much do we love him? He said, if you love me, you'll do the things I say. And so Jesus is very clear about, if you love me, if you really truly love me, then you're going to be obedient to what I say. You can't say you love Jesus and take a little bit of his word and then throw the rest out. You can't say you love Jesus and still have a little piece of you and expect to keep coming and keep drawing closer and closer to God because I promise you whatever you've let whatever you've let take you know for the forefront there is going to is going to be in that space and it's going to keep you from drawing closer to God so we have to constantly evaluate our lives and it's not saying that 
you know, none of us have arrived. No one has arrived. No one have, have you seen God face to face? I haven't, you know, I haven't seen God face to face. I, I don't know that I've ever even been, you know, in the, in the glory of God that is even a, you know, that any man, that there men have come before us, you know, that has been there. So I know if God has given that kind of glory and has, has opened himself up to other men and women, it's there for us. But there's men throughout history, even 50 years ago, 60 years ago, there's men and women that have experienced the glory. There's churches and people that have experienced the glory of God in a way that, that we haven't experienced yet. So that tells me that there is more. Do you, do you guys agree that there is more? But the key is we have to be willing to pay the price. We have to be willing to pay the price. Bottom line, that's all it is. And, and not everybody's willing to do it. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. It doesn't mean anything like that. It's just how, how close do you want to be? He's saying, I have give, I've opened this up and you can come as close as you want, but you have to decide how close you want to be to God. And I'll tell you this. I know for me, there's times where if I can feel my passion starting to, you know, to fade out, sometimes I'll just pray, God, you know, right now I need some supernatural strength. You know, because it takes God to love God. We have to, we have to get God to be able to love Him. We have to spend time and expose ourselves before God before we're able to draw nearer to God. Because that's the only way. It's more of God and then that's how we get God to open ourselves up for more of Him. And so, and just in, it, it doesn't mean that for instance, we have this prayer closet at home. It doesn't mean that we like have to light candles in the room and just sit there and rock back and forth all day and I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you. No, God is not requiring that of us. He, when he created us, he made a body, he made a soul, and he made a spirit. So he knew that we needed to take care of our body, physical exercise, eat healthy. You know, we need to do that. I don't always do that. Love you all. Um, we have a spirit. We have a soul that needs to be, you know, taking care of our emotions need to be ministered to. You know, if Stephen spent all his time praying all the time, and that he was feeding his spirit man, but never spent time with me, I think we would suffer a little, you know. It is, that's it, just, it is what it is. Um, and so all of these things need to be taken care of. We need to take care of each aspect. We need to take care of our body, our soul, and our spirit. But when we do all of this, we have to do it unto God. There's no God time, you know, because a lot of times we can get up and go, okay, well, I spent my God time today. I spent my hour or two hours with God. I had my God time, and now it's on to this other thing. Well, no, there's no God time and other time. It's all God time. We have to get that mentality. Amen. (laughs) Um, You know, when we're spending time with our family, think of that as God time. You know, I'm sewing into my kids. That's God time. And this is a... um, one of my little stories. Stephen and I, it was a couple days ago, he had done something that I just was a little aggravated about. And um, and he didn't agree with me getting aggravated about him. And I didn't agree with him not getting, not, you know, agreeing with me. And so it was, you know, so I decided to give him the silent treatment, which was childish and stupid. I shouldn't have done it, but I did. And so I gave him the silent treatment. And I... I kind of just started looking into myself because I remember the feeling, how I felt. I felt so, I, I just didn't feel whole when I was giving him this silent treatment. It didn't feel good inside of me. And I was like, you know what, I, I'm not liking this. I don't like this. So I had to, to basically eat some crow. I had to kill my pride, right? I had to kill my pride and I had to say, you know, 
I'm going to go to him. And even though I still think he was wrong, you know, even though I don't agree, I'm going to go to him. And I'm just going to tell him, I'm sorry for my part. I was just ugly. And I didn't have to be ugly. I didn't have to give him the silent treatment. And when I went to him and I was like, babe, you know what? And I wasn't like... Um, because it would have been all about me still. I would have been going to him and saying, I know you're still wrong and you know you're still wrong, but this is so I can feel better. No, I truly desired to connect with him, you know, to, to connect back with him and for everything just to be okay. And it wasn't even that big of a deal. It was something, I think he didn't bring me Reese's. <laughs> I mean, it was something silly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was not a big deal, so don't think it was something big. <laughs> That's what it was. Anyway, but I told him not to, and you know, I'm like, next time I ask you for Reese's, don't bring me Reese's, and yeah, anyway, remember we were talking about that the other day, so anyways, um, I go to him, and then I just, I'm like, you know what, I'm sorry, I, sh- I was stupid, I was a fool, I should have never acted that way, and immediately he was like, baby, I love you, and I forgave you before you ever even did it, you know, blah, 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 but I just remember that moment of just that connection where I just, I released it, and I was like, I was a fool. I'm sorry. You know, there was a release there in that. And what did it do? Immediately, my heart, I mean, it was like a magnet. I moved that out of the way. Bam. Immediately, I felt reconnected with him. It's the same way with God. We have to, we have to look at, there's certain things that our flesh just, they don't, our flesh doesn't want to move them out of the way. But I promise you, if you will, if you'll move them out of the way, you will not be able to help but just be reconnected with God. So it's like a, if you think about a magnifying glass, there's this, there's the little tray in there. How on time, Steve? Good. You have the tray in the, in the, not magnifying glass, the microscope. Okay. And you say put it on the 10th power of this microscope. You put it to the 10th power and you'll begin to see some dust and black stuff and all this stuff. Well, you clean it off. Okay. You take it out, clean it off. Well, then you say magnify it to the 100th power. And you're going to see more. You're going to see smaller specks that you didn't see before when you magnify it, when you turn up the intensity a little more. So clean it off, turn it up a little more, and it's kind of, it's, it's going to keep going. You keep magnifying. The more intense and the closer you get to God, your problems don't get less. You begin to see more inside of you what you can change, things that you would have never noticed before. I would have never noticed, you know, 10 years ago that I was stupid for doing that. That I was a fool for doing that. Wouldn't have noticed it. I would have just kept going and eventually I'd have been like, well, we'll brush it on the rug. No, but, but, but because, and I'm saying I've, you know, I'm arrived or anything, but my relationship with God is, is a lot more intimate than it was. And I've allowed God to turn up the magnifying glass a little bit more. And I've pressed into God more. So understand when, the more you press into God, the more you allow Him closer to you, it's going to shine more light. It's going to shine more light on the areas of your life that you need to change. And it's going to get, those places are going to get more noticeable to you. Things you didn't notice before. So just keep that in mind as you do draw closer to God. And I believe that all of us, I believe every single one of us, every day for the rest of our lives are mandated to take that day and say, God, what can I do to get closer to you today? You know, and it's not about works. It's about the cross. I mean, Stephen has told you guys that story so many times. There's nothing we can really necessarily do to make God love us anymore or get us closer to God. It's all the grace of Jesus. But God is bound by his word. And if when we are obedient, he loves obedience. When we have sin, 
we, that is go, that's a block. It's going to be a blockade between us and God. And so we have to begin to, to check ourselves and just, man, we just got to kill our pride. You know, if you treat your husband, your wife, your kids, I mean, I did it today. I was snappy with Peyton. I was on the phone with Stephen. He's like, Jay, we can't be snappy with them. I opened the door. And I was like, what? What do you want? And he's like, he's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, you're right. I mean, but I could have said, don't tell me what to do. You know, you talk to him like that too. You know, I could have said that, but I didn't. I'm like, you know what? You're right. You're right. I mean, that's why I have him in my life to help me. And that's why he has me to help him and we help each other. So, so anyway, God, God is really, really, really first and foremost, our spirit man needs that attention. We have to give our spirit man attention. So I believe the whole issue here with this intimacy with God, it all boils down to our time. We spend time like money. The Italians even said that. They, they talk about, you know, Italians, they'll, I learned a little bit of uh, culture, cultural diversity when I took some college classes here recently. And they talk about how the Italian people, they, they're like, don't be, a, you know, if you're going to a business meeting in Italy, don't be offended if they show up 20 or 30 minutes late. Or if in the middle of a meeting, they get a call from one of their family members and they go out of the room and they talk for 30 minutes. To them, life revolves around family. I mean, they are all about family time. They're not, they're not punctual people. So if you know any Italian people from Italy and they're not punctual, it's not their culture. And they say about us, they're like, they spend time like money. I mean, their time is so, so important to them. And they, they blow off their family. They blow off other things for time. Time, 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 time. And so I think time for us in America, in our culture, in this civilization we live in now, is so important. I know Stephen... That boy has his day planned out to the minute. He does. He will plan his day out to the minute. But I see him, if God says, you know what, we're going to go into, I'm going to dig into your minutes. I'm going to, I'm going to take 30 extra minutes and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, and, and he lets him, you know, he lets him. And so we have to, we have to begin to say, you know what, God, I'm not going to work you into my schedule. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let my schedule revolve around you. Again, you don't have to spend 20 hours in your closet rocking back and forth saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that at all. But you do, very clear, you have to make time for God. And I'll just say, you don't have to pray at the beginning of the day, but there's just something about waking up in the morning. The psalmists talk about it all through psalms. Even Jesus did it himself. He would always arise early. You know, he, and, and there's even a, uh, I think it's a psalm, or, and even it's in Song of Solomon, it talks about, I will awaken the dawn with praises. I will awaken the dawn singing love. So I'm going to awake with the new day. There's something about a new day. And, and even if you look at it in the point of view of like a tithe, just giving him that first percent of the day, you know, give him the first fruits of the day. There's something about that. I know for me, if I wake all day, then I have to usually do a lot more repenting than I do if I prayed at the beginning of the day. Just saying. So, you know, we can say I'm busy. That's a good excuse. I'm busy. Well, everyone's busy and you're not that busy. No one's that busy to not spend time with God. Nobody. No one. I don't care who you are. Um, we have to fight distractions constantly. It is what it is. We all have to fight distractions. But we have to make sure that our most important requirement is to feed our spirit. You know, a lot of times we spend time with God 
and or we're asking God for something. We're saying, you know, we're, we're praying about something. And a lot of times we can just give up and get frustrated. But you have to understand a spiritual investment is completely opposite than a than even, well, a physical investment. You don't lose weight the first day you start working out. I know. You know, it doesn't happen. I mean, it took me, you know, so many months to gain so much weight, and I'm not going to lose it in a day. Our spirit man really is the same way. Because God is not after... He's not after these one-time little passionate encounters. He wants to see how committed you are to him, how committed you are to this thing. So yeah, you can, you can, you know, take three weeks out of your life and say, Ooh, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray and I'm going to get real strong with God. But you're going to, it's going to be like a dud that during that time, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it will, because God is so beautiful and so graceful and he, he will take us, he's going to wrap his arm around us. But if you want a life, if you want one of these lives like Moses, that you're going to see God all the time and you're going to walk with God and you're going to walk in that close fellowship with God. God is wanting to see our commitment. He's about longevity. God is not necessarily about in the moment, in the moment. So again, I just want to say, in this moment, right here and now, you're as close to God as you want to be. Wherever you've decided, whatever whatever you've set in your life, whatever bounds you've set for him, whatever borders you've set, that's what you've set. It's not what God has set. God is saying, listen, I sent my son Jesus. There was a huge space before, but I sent Jesus to fill in the space, to fill in the gap. I gave everything I had. I gave my son. I came all the way... Jesus came and he filled that gap in. And so now we have this this straight path to him. And it's just up to us. God proved to us how close he wants to be to us. He proved it. When he sent Jesus, he proved how close he wants to be to us. He loves us so much, he didn't want to spend eternity without us. We were worth that much to him. So now it's up to us to close in this space. Because we all have it. I have it, you have it, Stephen has it. Pastor, everyone has space. We all have something that we can sacrifice, that we can give up for God. And mind you, it's not going to be just because you gave this thing up or just because you, you let him a little closer. It's not your work. It is the cross. It's all in the cross. But your obedience, your willingness to say, just like Moses... I'm just going to turn away from these earthly pleasures. You know, if there's something, if there's something that I can change, then God show me. And that's a prayer that I encourage you to pray. Just like David said, point out anything in me that offends you, God. Point out anything in me that offends you. And I guarantee you, if you start reading the word, if you don't know where to start, start with 1 Corinthians 13, where it goes into saying, love is patient, love is kind. Take love out. And put your name in there. Jennifer is patient. Jennifer is kind. Jennifer is not proud. Jennifer is not rude. Well, Jennifer was rude. And Jennifer is rude sometimes. Jennifer holds no record of wrong. Yeah, I keep a file cabinet in there. And most women do. But we need to burn it. For real. It's the truth. I mean, this is, this is God's word. Love holds no record of wrong. And if we are going to really fulfill what we say, if we are going to say that we are Christ-like, then we have to hold no record of wrong. And you need to get somebody to hold you accountable. You need to get somebody in your life that will hold you accountable and say, I love you, but you're just, you're being rude right now. I mean, Stephen and I have, I'm, he's my husband, but we have that relationship. Yeah, you were a fool. I'm not going to lie. But I can't get offended. You know what? I was. 
That's just, it's just how we have to do. So whatever it is, a person, situation, a thing, whatever it is in your life that, that, and if you don't even see it yet, if you, if you may know right now and you may not know, I encourage you to go home and, and start asking God, you know, is there anything that I can change? Because I don't walk, I don't walk in the kingdom like I want to. I don't, I don't walk the kingdom flowing through me like I desire. I want to be one of these people who can walk by people and lay hands on them and tell them to get up and them get up. But I don't, I, I haven't made that commitment in my life yet. But I want to. And I can say I want to until I die. But until I start putting the time in for that, then it's not going to happen. So whatever your dream is, whatever it is that you that you have, you have to be willing to, to make the commitment, to put in the time for it. I'm just going to pray again. That's, that's all I have. I don't know how long I went. 8-12. Pretty good. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for... Just using these lips of clay that are fallible, that stumble, Lord, I know that that whatever you wanted to say, Lord Jesus, that you are perfect and you can perfect it in the lives of these people. Lord, I pray, God, that your word, that it would go forth and that it would challenge us and that it would move us, Lord, I know that it is not your will for us to come in service after service just to hear a word, just to hear it. There's so much more than hearing. God, you desire for that to turn into faith. You desire that hearing to turn into something more and to turn into obedience. Lord, I know that your desire on this earth for us is to mold us into the character of Christ. That we would become more Christ-like. So I pray that we would do that. I pray that through the word of God. That we would learn to put on the mind of Christ. That we would learn to put on the mind of Christ. Our thoughts, our actions, our words, our desires. All come from the epicenter of the mind of Christ. So God, I pray that you would help us. Because we can't do it on our own. We can't do any of this on our own, but we need you, God. We need you to change us. We need you, Jesus, and your strength to make us better. You came to show us a better way. You came to show us a better way. I thank you for your word, and I pray for travel and mercies. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bring us back here safe. And I pray, God, that from the time between now and Sunday... Lord, that we won't be those who just come service to service just to hear what the speaker is saying, but that we would get alone and we would hear your voice for ourselves and we would know what you were saying, God. I pray that you would bless your people, prosper your people, body, soul, and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.